you know, you got to get the channel fees in there. You got to understand your return. If you're going B2B and B2C, you got to understand what my returns are and then what it's going to take to get to the customer because your price, quite honestly, is probably not going to be the lowest price if you're in a competitive market. You're just going to have to figure out something else other than price. It's, it's, it's oftentimes you really have to understand where you can be at to make the money that you need to first and then go out and understand how competitive we can be at the market. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. A successful e-commerce strategy requires you to be able to dropship your products. This is especially true for newer brands that might not have access to the capital necessary to set up the distribution and logistics network required to meet customer expectations. Even the existing brands need to have it as part of their strategy for newer products and territories before setting up an expensive distribution network for untested ideas. But finding products for dropshipping is not easy as the dropshipping model requires you to find the products with appropriate margins. It also requires you to find quality suppliers who are willing to support your order types, minimum order quantities and customer experience expectations. Finally, it requires you to research the competition and channels to ensure that you are able to compete with bigger brands that might have the economy of scale with their existing fulfillment network. So how do you decide which are the right products for dropshipping? Do you analyze each channel and SKUs and determine if dropshipping might make sense? Do you also need to consider the product weight and size to account for shipping complexities, cross-border challenges, and white club services that might need to be included as part of your product bundle. These are the questions you are going to have if you are exploring dropshipping as part of your business strategy. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss how to find products for dropshipping. We discussed the criteria for finding the right SKUs for dropshipping and the differences between B2B and B2C dropshipping. Finally, we covered strategies of how to conduct price and supplier research to set up the dropshipping network. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. We are going to start with everybody's intro, but before that, our topic for today is going to be drop shipping and this is a very exciting topic because if you can figure out how to make it work you can make a lot of money without having a lot of investment so everybody wants to know the secrets and our panelists are going to help you understand how to be successful with drop shipping so before uh, we move forward with the session we are going to start with everybody's intros 
Rick, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Rick Watson. I'm CEO and founder of RMW Commerce, which is a boutique e-commerce uh, consulting firm based in New York City. I, I work with brands, uh, primarily with brands that are looking to digitally transform and add new e-commerce channels through direct-to-consumer or marketplaces, uh, and then accelerate those revenue streams. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Rick. Your insights are going to be so powerful. Steve, can I move to you next for your intro? Sure, and thank you for uh, being on, uh, letting me be on this panel with these great folks. Uh, my name is Steve Rice. I am the founder of Dotcom Jungle and the co-founder of the Globally Conscious Leader. Uh, and with Dotcom Jungle, we help companies make and implement wise technology choices. Uh, and it has to, often has to do with integration with ERPs, sometimes uh, API integrations, and often, uh, and very recently, some EDI integrations with large nationwide known manufacturer uh, sorry retailers who uh, required one of our clients to start drop shipping for them so have some of that uh, in the can for today's uh, topics nice okay amazing it's been so awesome to partner in 2021 and i am super excited for 2022 as well thank you so much for being here steve okay chris can i move to you next for your intro of course sam and thank you uh, i am chris harrington the president of gen alpha technologies our objective is to help OEMs and aftermarket organizations increase sales and improve service. We do that through our e-commerce, e-catalog, and analytics. So very excited to be here with everybody in this great panel to talk about dropshipping. Thank you. And you bring a very different perspective, Chris. When people think of dropshipping, they are never going to think large machines and the large products. So it's going to be really exciting to dig into that. Thank you so much for being here. You bet. Okay, Damon, can I move to you next for your intro? Sure, Sam. Thanks for thanks for having me on today. Uh, Damon Postalka, co-founder, managing director, Exit Your Way. We help business owners, manufacturing, e-commerce, construction, build businesses that they can sell or succeed when they want. A lot of the e-commerce customers we have are actually in the dropship world, so it's going to be interesting today talking about it because we completed some pretty interesting projects last year to automate some of this stuff, so... Happy to be here. And Damon, you are going to bring a very unique perspective from the operations and finance perspective as well uh, to get the entire picture of the dropshipping business. Thank you so much for being here, Damon. All right. So we are going to start. So the first question is going to be for Rick. Rick, so when we look at the criteria for dropshipping, so let's say if a manufacturer is going for DDC and they are trying to figure out if they should be considering dropshipping as part of their strategy, or maybe you have a distributor or the retailer and they have never considered dropshipping before, but now they have the newer territory or maybe newer brand and they are thinking that they should probably consider dropshipping because their reach is going to be far broader if they incorporated that business model. So let's say if somebody is developing the criteria, how can they start on the criteria? What are the variables that they need to be looking at and how to do the the dropshipping strategy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there there are a lot of different criteria, but I, I think it makes sense to start at the beginning because a lot of people are new to dropshipping and they have a traditional retail sales channel relationship. And to me, step one is to start with your existing customers because compared to ten years ago, most many retailers want their brands to dropship today or in include as a standard part of their agreements that you're either at a minimum drop ship in between wholesale orders that you're going to get as a brand or drop ship an extended range that they're not willing to buy 
or in any any kind of deep levels. So to me, um, you know, a, as we start to think about sort of the tip of the iceberg in this conversation, to me, the tip of the iceberg in any kind of conversation in e-commerce always starts with your customer. And to the brand, you're not selling directly to the end consumer. You're selling through a retail channel or a marketplace uh, online. Yeah. So some very interesting insights there. And I completely agree that every conversation as far as e-commerce or commerce goes, it has to start with the customer. So thank you so much for that. One of the comments uh, that you made related to the existing customers, I don't know how many people are really familiar in starting the dropshipping model with the existing customers. Do you want to paint some more colors in terms of how that works? Typically, dropshipping is going to be with the newer customers because they are the ones who are actually going to place the orders, right? So is this, uh, when you say existing customers, is this the one that you have relationship with? Are there any variables that are, are important? when we look at new customer versus the existing customer for dropshipping? A lot of it is going to depend on the stance of the of the retailer that you're, is your customer as, yeah. as a brand. Many of them, look, there are some retailers that want you, maybe only want a dropship relationship because they're not willing to take the risk on any of the inventory. I think there are some retailers that are that are hybrid, that are in a hybrid scenario where, you know, if you look at, for instance, even some somebody as big as Macy's, Macy's five years ago, as opposed to Macy's now, is, is it's a different company. They don't buy at the depth that they used to buy, and they expect all these new, all, all these brands that are coming on to either dropship through, you know, from Commerce Hub, which runs kind of their dropship program, or they're even starting a marketplace platform for even smaller long tail sellers to dropship. I think if it's a new channel to a brand as opposed to an existing channel, it's more likely that you're going to have to incorporate dropshipping as part of your mix than less likely just because retailers don't want to hold inventory. <laughs> yep. Yep. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Rick, for that. So I'm going to move to you, Steve, next. And we are looking for the variables. But I mean, one of the distinctions that we need to make overall so that we don't mix things here the perspective is going to be really important uh, in terms of, uh, you know, which particular business we are talking about. Is it going to be the business that is hiring the supplier to be able to drop ship versus the, the business that is actually doing the drop shipping? So I think Rick was mentioning the other one where you, know, you are hiring the suppliers and you are using them for your existing. So when you do the uh, product research, what has been your experience in developing the criteria, which are going to be the variables that are going to be really important to find the right products that are going to be relevant for dropshipping. Well, I think you, you're pointing out that there's a dovetail between what the way Rick was referring to yep. being a retailer looking for somebody versus being a manufacturer looking for somebody to sell your stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you can also be a wholesaler looking to source products, which is, I think, what you want to uh, talk about as well. And, uh, you know, one example, I actually have an example of a client that kind of did both. Uh, it was somebody who actually invented a back massager uh, that you've all seen. Uh, you, you've definitely seen it somewhere. And um, he, so he actually patented it, found, ended up finding a manufacturer that, this is related to dropshipping. When he was looking for manufacturers, somebody actually told him that they would not only make them for them, but warehouse them for him for free, and then dropship them for a nominal fee plus shipping to his direct-to-consumer folks off of his own uh, website, which at the time I think was WordPress, and ship him products that he could ship from his own warehouse. And what was great about uh, all of that is that 
manufacturer also said they would not charge him for any of those products until they left their warehouse. So, so uh, he basically had an infinity return on investment when it came to actually purchasing those products. It was a crazy deal, but it actually worked for the manufacturer. Now, additionally, this same guy was very savvy, and this was a, wa- a ways ago when this is easier to do, but I think you can still do this, but you've got to work hard on this. He was constantly keeping an eye on Alibaba for deals where he could get a container load of other types of massage tools, whether they were the little hand things with the little knobs on them or the foot rollers. And when he saw something that he could he could get five or 50,000 of them on a container, he went and bought them. He might actually get them on shore for something like a buck 50, knowing that he could sell them uh, direct to his consumers for uh, you know, nine ninety five, and he could wholesale them at five bucks to his retailers. So he was making a good margin all around. But he he was also in a position where he did not. If we're talking about uh, what Rick was talking about, he had no retailers that he was drop shipping for. He only drop shipped directly for his direct to consumer folks. Got it. Um, okay, amazing insights there. And by the way, I mean, when we talk about back massager, uh, you know, I can use as many as you can have. I mean, you know, we all need one, I guess. So thank you so much for that story. Really enjoyed it. And the other point about ROI, ROI is really, uh, again, if you can pull off the dropshipping model, uh, there is significant ROI just because you don't need to maintain the inventory and you don't need to worry about the the distribution as well. So thank you so much, uh, Steve, for those insights. So Chris, I'm actually going to move to you next for your insights uh, in terms of the criteria. What have you seen when you are going to analyze the products that are going to be right fit for drop shipping. What are the variables that matter? Yeah, and you know, my experience, well, first I would say I'll take some of those massagers as well. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I, you know, my experience is really with manufacturers who sell large equipment and their dealer network who in support of that equipment, um, they are typically putting in the inventory, the large pieces of equipment. That's what the inventory dollars are all associated with that that heavy equipment or the equipment that they're going to sell, which is then going to be serviced. And in order for manufacturers to attract dealers in different parts of the country, one of the things that manufacturers are doing to ensure that customers get the right service and support is they're drop shipping the aftermarket components that would go with that are needed throughout the life uh, cycle of that piece of equipment or that specialty vehicle. So the dealer, they are a place where service can come in. So they use their bays to service the equipment. They use their inventory and their yard to sell the large equipment. But then when that installed base is out there, the dealer is relying on the manufacturer to carry the not just the parts to service the equipment, but also the accessories that go with that industry. And the value here is that the manufacturer can typically leverage their buying power and extend the uh, that buying power pricing to their dealer network. So if all of the, the, the sourcing is happening at the manufacturer, particularly for components and accessories that aren't actually manufactured by the manufacturer because the manufacturer has sources as well, they get to leverage that buying power. And then, you know, through their inventory, they can quickly service all of the dealers and the dealer customers. So that is one thing that we're seeing very popular. So it's 
Manufacturers attracting dealers who know something about their industry, have a good understanding of that base, but then can leverage the full service of supporting that product as well. And I will tell you that for dealers who move online and who are offering both, um, you know, configurable large products, but then also the service support products, it's a great way to increase average order value by adding dropship products that are industry components. You know, I think about an RV manufacturer. So uh, imagine a family is headed into Florida and their air conditioning unit breaks. Now they're going to be looking for an RV dealer to support them with that uh, that aftermarket, uh, that air conditioning unit that would go on that RV or camper. But while they're there having a, a shopping experience, they may also look for a cover for that, our, that air conditioner, particularly if it's a product recommendation. So that's a way for dealers to increase the average order value by uh, capturing that customer's need for the new air conditioner, but then upselling some other products that can be part of this drop shipping uh, situation. So uh, it all becomes extremely valuable for the end user. Yeah, could not agree more and love the way you have described that even in when we look at the overall sales, uh, you know, life cycle of the product when you are going to have the large equipment. And you would think that parts are probably going to follow the same sales cycle, but that is probably not true here because you know they could be far more compatible for dropshipping versus your large equipment that not that might not be as uh, compatible for that. So thank you so much, Chris, for those insights. Jamin, I am going to move to you. Do you agree, disagree with whatever has been said so far? What are the variables when it comes to researching the products uh, that are going to be appropriate for dropshipping? Well, I look at it a little bit differently, and I agree with what everybody said. But, you know, I look at it as a business that's going to be doing the dropshipping, right? And this is something that you really gotta you really gotta think through because you're you said a couple of times you don't have the inventory and something about cost, Sam. And I think as a manufacturer that's gonna be making it, you do have that cost. You have that I'm I'm not shipping truckloads of an item or items anymore. I'm shipping one off. And that's a, that's a lot different operationally that you have to figure out how to do that all the way back from the receipt of orders, because this is not something anymore where you can have people putting orders in a system manually. This is, you gotta have to have the API interfaces going in and it's gotta be easy to do. And that's really what I what I think about when I think about being a manufacturer that's gonna consider the criteria I need for drop shipping. Brought up, other people brought up a lot of good things about you know the size of the product, the, you know, and the things like that, because you have to go, am I gonna be shipping a hundred orders a day freight or am I going to be loading up UPS boxes? It's a it's a completely different thing. And uh yeah, there's a lot to it if you're if you're a manufacturer considering drop shipping, uh, especially if you get into volume. If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna do a thousand orders a day, this is a this is a beast you need to think about. And, and it's great. You can make a lot of money at it, but you you can you can drive your people to to drink. If you don't do it right, I should say more than normal. <laughs> That's my two cents on that. Yeah, could not agree more. And you are definitely touching on a lot of different layers there and the aspects that we wanted to touch as part of this session that is going to be, which are going to be the products that are going to be the fit and the volume is a very important point as well. 
as you correctly pointed out, that operationally, when you are shipping just one good versus 100 goods, uh, that is going to be very, very, very different operations from the warehouse perspective, from the technology infrastructure perspective. So thank you so much for that. And then you mentioned, I guess, the, the pricing and the, and the supplier as well, right? So we are going to touch on all of that. So I'm actually going to move to the, the next uh, question, which is going to be the differences between B2B and B2C. So Rick, I'm actually going to come back to you. So I don't know if you have any experience uh, looking at some of the B2B categories as well, but have you seen any sort of differences when you consider the dropshipping for B2C versus B2B? I don't know how many companies are really thinking dropshipping when they are B2B. Do you want to touch on that? If there are any differences? Yeah, I, I think... Um... Chris was able to outline a, a few scenarios that I think usually in B2B, what you have is another intermediary, you know, with, with the consumer. So if it's a, but, but you can see that in direct to consumer oriented businesses also, for instance, you have a furniture, furniture manufacturer that has a detail that has a network of designers and they have a network of retailers and then they have consumers. And so they have three really sets of customers and some, some of them want to buy inventory and stock it. A designer might want to get drop shipped an item to configure it for a consumer locally and then deploy it to the consumers in the consumer's home. Sometimes they may want to ship it to the consumer's home. Sometimes they may want it to ship to the designer's house so that they can set it up for their customers. They're providing a, a bespoke service. Or again, like, like Chris mentioned in the post-purchase relationship, the consumer may want a direct relationship back with the manufacturer to be able to order replacements, new sizes. I want I want the same thing for another room. Do I need, really need to go back to that same designer? That's that's a valuable customer relationship that that the manufacturer can't think about. So I, I think the important thing is that I think about when planning these for retailers is like step one is you like, what is your business model with yeah. all the different players in your network? You have who are the different players and what is their role in each in each of the business models? Like, where does each player make money? And how much do you owe that person for referring you a sale? And then yeah. what cost does each person have to happen? It's like, if you ship something and it breaks or, or it's damaged in, damaged in transit, the consumer didn't receive it yet. So that's on you. And so that's something to think about with drop shipping, particularly fragile or, or heavy, bulky items that need to be very carefully packaged. So, so to me, business plan is one. Second is the customer experience. Really making sure that you understand what customer experience you're trying to enable from the end, who's receiving it. And I think each player in that chain and B2B, to me, it just means there's more people in the chain and they're in the B2B is that intermediary situation. What is their experience versus is very different than someone in the consumer just trying to consume an item in their home to someone who's also another service provider in between you and the customer. And then finally, that consumer experience will determine what capabilities you need in an organization. And I think about people process technology and, and some of the things that Damon and Steve think about all the time with EDI integration, yeah. what type of technology integration capability need, et cetera. Yeah, the dropshipping model is definitely very complex. There are a lot of layers. In the business model, sometimes you may not have control over them, especially if you are going to have the intermediary. So obviously, you need to think through that and you need to have enough control in place so that you are going to get the customer experience that you are looking for, even if things might not be as in your control as you would like if you didn't have that intermediary. Thank you so much for that insight, Fred. 
Now, I'm actually going to come to you, Steve. So from your experience, when you look at B2B versus B2C, I don't know if you are going to have any agreements, disagreements, um, you know, with REC on this point. From your perspective, what are the nuances of B2B versus B2C for dropshipping? Uh, well, I pretty agree with everything that, that Rick was talking about, um, as well as Damon and Chris. Because uh, and you, by the way, Sam, <laughs> use of the word nuance uh, should not be uh, should be underscored multiple times because that's what we're looking at. Um, yeah. When we, when Rick's talking about customer experience, what we're also talking about is maintaining branding. And if you are if you are a manufacturer or um, or somebody who's warehousing and selling to other retailers. Uh, well, let's leave the, the second one out because if you're Patagonia, say you're you're concerned about your brand, uh, and you're not just going to let anyone, uh, you know, a Tom, Dick, Harry, or Jane drop ship your products because you want your products to maintain a certain level of, of elegance. Now, I think what's changed over the last, especially I'd say only three years, uh, well, you know, maybe because of COVID, but I saw this happening the year before COVID is that the the pattern of sort of negotiation between big companies and retailers sort of flipped, meaning it used to be uh, maybe if you were in a small mom and pop shop or or even a, a five a smaller five chain uh, store that sold outdoor goods or something that's where I come from, you all you had to have an agreement with somebody like Patagonia. Patagonia is a bad example because they didn't drop ship. I think they do now, but the ones that did drop ship they required you to. Um, I think Rick mentioned this, have wholesale shipments in between so that you maintain a certain volume of inventory in your store for you to even be allowed to drop ship. And some of those bigger companies set requirements so that only large companies like REI or Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops can do it. What's actually happened in the last few years is those other bigger companies uh, have actually turned around and said, look, if you want us to sell your product, we want you to fulfill these obligations. It, they actually took the model from the grocery store industry that where grocery stores don't really buy product, they, they sell space on shelves. Yep. And so the, this concept is kind of flipped on its head and, and we've been working with manufacturers now to basically implement B2B uh, EDI, you know, electric, electronic data interface uh, ex exchanges for large, large companies like Home Depot because those companies said, look, if you don't do that, we're just going to go to your competitor and buy their product, even though maybe it's not so good. So those are some insights that I have, at least about B2B dropshipping, because it's basically forcing uh, direct-to-consumer dropshipping on the manufacturers at that point through negotiations. Yeah, could not agree more, uh, you know, related to controls. And some of those controls should be a factor whether you should be considering dropshipping as a strategy or not. We have seen those controls in case of Amazon. Now they are going really hard with respect to chargebacks. And sometimes, you know, people don't really understand how much chargebacks you are going to get. But if you don't really meet the customer experience, uh, you know, metrics that they are setting for yourself, uh, obviously you are going to get penalized and you might not be as profitable as you were thinking. So there are controls in place. Dropshipping business is very hard. Well, and I would say you bring up a good point that it, it's really important if you're making something or, or selling it, you, that you maintain your margins because those chargebacks will eat into what you're uh, trying to accomplish. And if you think you're, you're going to, um, I don't know, sell more by discounting as well as dropshipping, you might be out of business in a year. Like if you have a brand, you have to maintain your margin. And, and that's one of the reasons is that you're, you're now putting a bunch of things out there that you're not necessarily going to have to um, 
you're going to have to absorb the cost of them in a different way that it hasn't been seen by your finance department before. And, uh, and they're going to be asking you questions like, where did this come from? Yep. I agree. Completely agree. Thank you so much, Steve, for that. So, Chris, I'm actually going to come to you. Uh, so last time when you uh, you know mentioned about the, the dropshipping, uh, I think your insights were completely related to B2B. So now we are going to force you to think uh, you know, a little bit more uh, towards B2C, which is a very exciting space. So now when we compare the B2B versus B2C, from your perspective, what do you think are the differences uh, between B2B and B2C dropshipping? Yeah, I think the thing that I would add related to what everybody else has talked about already is to go back to Damon's point uh, a little bit earlier, and that's fulfillment. So, you know, if I'm a manufacturer and I'm delivering to a business, my dropship is to a business, I typically have fewer locations. If now I'm dropshipping direct to the end user, uh, now I really have to think about my complete fulfillment structure. Where is my warehousing? Uh, what are my costs associating with that warehousing? What do ex uh, customers expect from me with respect to delivery and turnaround time? So that point uh, at which it leaves the warehouse and arrives at that customer's door, um, these are these are often really big shifts for most manufacturers. And um, the infrastructure to support that uh, is where I would say um, they need to they need to have a strategy, have a good plan, and and then execute to the plan. And maybe maybe you target domestically certain areas before you go everywhere. You know, maybe you get a foothold in an area. You you really advertise and spend your marketing budget in a certain area to support the drop shipping into a, an area where you feel like you're doing that well, and then expand. So. Um, those might be some thoughts that I think about, you know, as you shift as a manufacturer from B2B dropshipping to B2C dropshipping. Certainly some big change for them there. Yeah, I completely agree. And I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, you know, the dropshipping being used more as the test strategy. Because, you know, if you are going to use uh, dropshipping, obviously you can have far broader outreach. And once you figure out, okay, whether the market is working or not, then you can actually establish uh, your warehouses, their uh, logistical model or the distribution model that you need to have. So that could be another way of really trying out dropshipping. But again, you need to really understand the margins that I don't know uh, if you can survive even during the testing phase. If you don't understand that, uh, that could be trickier. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Okay, so Damon, I'm actually going to come to you. So I don't know if you agree, disagree with anybody related to the insights that they have offered B2B versus B2C. But when you compare the drop shipping between B2B, B2B and B2C, what are different nuances that you have seen? Well, the, the biggest thing in B2B and B2C, uh, you, we hit on a lot of them, right? You're going to a lot more locations. But one of the biggest things going to B2C is speed to the customer. Yes. And it, it, it is literally hours is a difference because if I can get an order in the morning and process it by that afternoon and have it off my dock that same day, and it can get in my customer's hands in two days or one day, even better, instead of five, it's, it's, it's crazy that difference. And as a manufacturer, you really need to understand, like you had talked about and, you know, how far are you going to ship from your factory? Are we only going to a geographic location? Because everybody's used to b2c everybody's used to prime amazon prime delivery time if you can get it like amazon prime then you're good if you if you want five days you're gonna you're gonna have bad reviews just because you don't get it there fast enough 
that's the biggest thing I see with B2B. B2B I mean, they're used to, if I need a, like in uh, Chris's example, if I need a part bad, I'm going to next day it. I'm going to get it there at 8 a.m. in the morning if I have to. But in B2C, with the expectations are a lot different and there's not margin in there to do it. Yeah, I think you touch on a, you know, three very important points when you compare B2B versus B2C. And one of that is volume uh, that you had mentioned, uh, you know, before, and then the speed and the margin. I think those three are definitely very critical for a B2C business. Obviously, you have challenges in B2B as well, but B2C is a different ballgame. Thank you so much, Damon, for that. So the next thing that we are going to cover is going to be uh, really pricing. And in my opinion, I think pricing is really critical when we are looking at drop shipping because you need to do the, the research across the channels and the pricing could be different. So Rick, I am actually going to come to you when it comes to pricing and margin strategy. Well, so once you have, let's say, identified the, okay, I am actually going to sell my SQ number one, SQ number two, SQ number three. Now I have decided that. Now you have to decide the pricing as well. So how are you going to decide the pricing? What are the factors uh, that uh, manufacturers or the retailers should be looking at when they are trying to uh, drop ship any specific product categories? Yeah, I, I think it goes back, some of it goes back to their earlier discussion. Um, I think uh, size of the customer, yeah. I think price sensitivity of the customer, I think the commitment level, from your sales channel, are they are they are they a big customer that is that is buying wholesale some of your products, or is it a purely dropship relationship? If it's purely dropship, then your pricing your margins need to be higher um, because you have more cost to absorb because you're having to fulfill all these. Particularly if you're dropshipping to many locations all over the U.S., as as Chris talked about, someone transitioning from a B to B to a B to C scenario. So I think the the cost question really goes into the capabilities that are needed to support it. Is customer service a cost in here? Who's handling the customer service? Is that coming back to you? Because a lot of times these dealers, they don't know those ex extended range of products. They, you know, the the service workers and the, and the dealers might know the products that are in their local store, but the rest of all those products, you, do, you could order it from the dealer's website but if there's a problem with it, where is that going to go? That's going to go back to the brand. And so the brand needs to account for the fact that they may get service calls on those things that they didn't even sell through their own website. Yeah, so some very interesting comments there. And I really liked uh, your example where, let's say, if you are selling the product and uh, the brand is actually providing the customer service. And I have seen scenarios in my case where what manufacturers or the brands are trying to do is they are utilizing their distributors uh, to be able to sell the original product. And when the, the product is going to require the customer service, the brand is actually going to offer the service because they are the only ones who can actually offer it. Okay, But the crazy part is that once they have provided the service, they are actually remarketing them. That's not your customer. You are simply provided... <laughs> So that's a real, uh, you know, case of channel conflict there, which in my opinion, I don't think that's cool, but a lot of brands are actually doing that. So a lot of complexity when it comes to dropshipping. Thank you so much, Rick, for that. So uh, Steve, I'm actually going to come to you uh, for the pricing analysis. So when uh, you look at the pricing across the channels, what are different variables that anybody should be looking at? I don't know uh, if you agree with what Rick has said already, different variables disagree. Uh, you can touch on that or you can talk about some of the aspects that anybody should be looking at when they are doing the pricing analysis. Oh, yeah, uh, I totally agree with Rick. And um, 
and this guy Sam who kept mentioning nuance. And uh, you know, I basically it boils down to like, are you going to make a penny or not? And and are you actually measuring all your costs? Um, yeah. I, I have yeah. a, a good friend who works with an office supply company, and that's what they're trying to figure out. It's like, can can they sell a thousand of these at ten cents, or do they need to sell a hundred of them? Uh, with 20 cents making, you know, or $2, what does that look like? And how do they figure out what everything else is happening? All the other platforms where stuff is uh, being sold, how they can be competitive without losing money. One of the stories I can tell from the other end is uh, a company that I've worked with that sells batteries for motorcycles and uh, utility vehicles. And he was in a situation where he was actually having all of his batteries coming from overseas into a, a warehouse on the East Coast. And they initially refused to drop ship for him. And so he had to find another warehouse that was in Kentucky. He chose Kentucky because that's where the UPS hub was. And, and that entity was drop shipping. Um, and then he had all, all the other batteries sent via pallet or container load across the United States uh, to California to another warehouse. Well, he eventually made a visit to that uh, warehouse uh, on the East Coast, the first one, and uh, and he noticed that they had an entire wall uh, of shelving. This is a very large warehouse. They weren't they were empty, and he he basically sort of stormed upstairs because he was a little bit peeved. And he looked at the owner and he said, "Okay, you have empty shelves. Do you have anything going on those anytime soon?" And he said, "No." He said, "All right, I'm I'm going to lease those from you, and I'm going to pay you for that space." And I'm going to pay you more than you're paying on a dollar per square foot basis for that. And when I place an order from you for, you know, a thousand batteries, uh, I want you to take the batteries from the right side of the warehouse where you have them and put them on the left side of the warehouse that I'm now leasing for you because I'm tired of spending thousands and thousands of dollars having you ship them all over the place. Um, and then he ended up negotiating because now he, he basically said, I'm going to give you all this other business that I'm spending this other company with. He's saving money. He created a profit center for them and then convinced them to drop ship for him as well. So uh, he saved a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and they made a couple hundred thousand dollars a year just because he was smart enough to say, hey, what are you doing with that empty warehouse space? And that went straight to margins. Right. So everybody made money. Uh, it's getting to that. He had that relationship, which maybe was the first word that came out of Rick's mouth. I think at the beginning of this, you've got to have the relationships and you got to communicate. Yeah. So some very interesting insights there. And, you know, the scenario that you are describing, I think in the ERP world, it's called consigned warehouse. And there's definitely a little bit of overlap when it comes to the dropshipping model, because there are many different ways that you could do dropshipping. So here in this particular case, you are also consigning the warehouse, you are leasing that, um, you know, not simply drop shipping. So thank you so much for those insights, Steve. Chris, I am actually going to come to you. And uh, as a product manager, pricing is your favorite topic. I know that. Uh, so when it comes to uh, pricing analysis for drop shipping, what are different variables that we are looking at? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's important to just mention that I come from an industry where manufacturers are used to establishing a suggested list price for dealers, right? And dealers get a list less price. So there's a discount that goes to the dealer. Well, if a manufacturer or any company is now going to move away from that model and start drop shipping components, there's a lot more administrative costs, the warehousing costs, you have to think about those. And you, ne you need to discuss with your channel if dealers are no longer going to be holding the inventory and you and the manufacturer are going to drop ship, that 
discount that the dealer used to get might be something less than. So you still want to reward your dealer for being your dealer, for operating in a territory, for taking care of those customers, for owning a customer relationship and maybe getting that original product out the door. But if the manufacturer is now going to start drop shipping direct, then that manufacturer needs a larger percentage of the profit in order to support that business. Um, so I think there's a win-win scenario there, uh, particularly for, again, dealers that don't want to hold that inventory. But that's where I would go to is that that uh, that list less discount. The other thing that I think that companies need to think about is what price uh, can the market bear? Uh, and I think, Steve, you touch on this a bit, but I do think not enough companies are doing the research. More and more product is available online, which means that companies have the ability to research what prices uh, the, the market will bear. And there's some uh, value in that exercise to determine where you should be setting your pricing and then uh, determining that profit margin from there. So um, those are the comments that I would have related to pricing. Okay, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, Damon, I'm actually going to come to you for the pricing research. So, based on the businesses that you have worked with, and you are doing a very comprehensive research, just because, you know, that's probably going to be part of your responsibility to set up the prices across the channel. Yeah. Uh, so, tell us, what have you seen in doing the pricing for different product categories that are going to be right fit for dropshipping? Well, if you're not paying attention to freight right now, yeah. you're you're not in e-commerce because I'll tell you the the thing that I've seen over the last two years is the predict going from a pretty predictable freight model, right? You got you got this to okay, now we've got fuel surcharges, which we've had those before, and now we have extended delivery charges, which if you have to deliver too far, and you don't you you really can't predict that. So when we go and look at the cost in the B two B I think Chris hit it really well. And if you're, especially if you're going to go through channel, like I think Rick, Rick mentioned earlier too, that, you know, you got to get the channel fees in there. You got to understand your return. If you're going B2B to, B2 and B2C, you got to understand what my, just what my returns are and then what it's going to take to get to the customer because your price, quite honestly, is probably not going to be the lowest price if you're in a competitive market. You're just going to have to figure out something else other than price. It's 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 oftentimes you have to you really have to understand where you can be at to make the money that you need to first and then go out and understand how competitive we can be at the market at, at that. If you're if you're a price competitor, if you're a brand and you're recognized, you're, you're in a little better spot. But there's so many of these costs that, like I said, shipping used to be something you just don't even worry about. But. You know, when you look at the minimum cost on UPS, what's the list on UPS went from like eight bucks or seven something. Now it's close to 10. If you're selling $20 items, that's that's a lot. It is. You know, so the, there's a lot of things to consider. All I'd say, just make sure to add them all up and and uh, try to understand, too, because in, in the same thing, too, as we talked geography before. If I start to get my customer base goes wider and wider, my my freight, my shipping changes, obviously. And how do you do that? How do you model that to be able to to capture all that? You know, do you do offer variable based pricing based on zip codes? We've been looking at some of that stuff. Yeah. You know, you, you have to do that on some of these things. Yeah, could not agree more. I, I think, you know, you are absolutely right related to freight. And that's really crazy right now. Hopefully things are going to get settled. 
but right now it's definitely crazy. I don't know if companies are going to design their model based on uh, today's trend, because obviously this is not going to stay for very long. Uh, some companies are doing that. Some companies are uh, simply making the ad hoc changes to their pricing model. Thank you so much, Damon, for that. So the next segment that we are going to cover is going to be uh, related to the supplier research. Uh, the supplier research is going to be equally relevant as well when you are looking for the suppliers that are going to be supporting you uh, with your dropshipping strategy. So you need to make sure that they are going to be, uh, they are going to be able to meet the customer experience metrics that you are going to set. And obviously uh, you need to set the charge back as well. So Rick, when you look at, uh, you know, uh, doing the research for the suppliers uh, that you are going to hire in your network, you know, what is going to be the strategy? How do you, uh, sort of segment them, uh, you know, is it going to be uh, per geography? Do you segment them based on the product categories? So how do you research? What are some of the criteria to be able to do the supply research? Track? Yeah, I, I think fulfillment and operational capabilities have to be at the top of the list because yeah. those are some of your big, biggest costs. Uh, I think how much inventory that they're able to hold. Um, and so, you know, what, what are your turns? What are your sell through? And are you, are you going to be able to handle the velocity and how, how many facilities? So that's that's kind of two. And then three is location of facility. Are you able to deliver the experience because you're able to deliver in in a certain amount of facility time? I have a an interesting story from a from a customer I worked with last year where this was a retailer that became a manufacturer. So they're a retailer. They when they first they got in the business, the easiest thing was, oh, I'll just use a distributor. And I don't want to hold any inventory, so they're going to do everything for me. So 100% of their business was distributed. Well, as three, four, or five years on, they're like, oh, we're going to start private labeling some merchandise. And so they went out to China and started giving these things. But instead of setting up their own facility, they asked their distributor to house their own products. Well, lo and behold, all their own products shipped way slower than the distributor's own products. Yep. For what reason? No one knows. But <laughs> it, it, but everyone happened that way, and so that that is not a problem if their if their mix for, was private label five or ten percent. But as their private label mix and their manufactured mix got up to forty fifty percent, it made a huge mess of their customer experience, and so they then had to create their own drop shipping capability. Uh, to their customer by seeking out fulfillment partners. Um, it's just interesting. The, the situation isn't always static. Uh, and so I think you need to watch who you're asking to drop ship your products. Yeah, completely agree and love the story, by the way. You know, uh, all of these retailers have tendency to think that, you know what, today I'm going to manufacture. Manufacturers are thinking that, you know what, retail is really easy. I'm actually going to do it myself. But, you know, each business is unique. They have their own nuance, um, you know, how they work. So um, until or unless you understand how that business model works, uh, it's not um, easy to try that. Thank you so much, Rick, for that. So, Steve, I'm actually going to come to you for the supplier research. What have you seen in your experience when you are doing going to be doing the research for the supplier, how you are going to segment the supplier, whether it is going to be based on the product category, is it going to be based on... Uh, Geography, what have you seen? Well, first of all, I want to say that uh, maybe I might have worked with the same company Rick was mentioning. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have a feeling that um, COVID and supply chain issues that have come to the forefront because of that are actually causing many companies to have that same challenge. Uh, definitely like what he described is something one of my uh, clients went through. 
Um, and, you know, sort of in answer to your question, um, I think it forced them to look at this diversification of the supply chain like everybody's doing now. And they ended up keeping the, the warehouse that was slow with their, not the warehouse, the manufacturer that was slow with their uh, custom-made products. They ended up leaving them with the original products and went to another company down the street that uh, actually made similar products for their competitors, but uh, but they did they did they essentially diversified their supply chain. So I think if you're if you're looking at trying to provide the best customer experience, uh, you need to make sure that those manufacturers, like Rick said, that they have the inventory uh, and that they can support your velocity. Yeah. And the one thing I would add to that is that they need to be able to report that velocity. Sorry, that inventory to you. Uh, via some mechanism, you know, whether it, whether you're connected to them via EDI or API, or someone's dropping a FTP inventory sheet uh, into an FTP folder, sorry, Excel spreadsheet into an FTP folder every hour or day or something. You have to know that because um, if you're if you're going to do velocity, you need to know what what your lead time is. You need to know what their lead time is, and you need to know if you're going about to run out of something. So I would add that to. Uh, everything that Rick said that I agree with. Yeah. So now we are talking about, Steve, connecting, uh, you know, these systems as well. Uh, so a lot of manufacturers and retailers, they struggle to have, you know, e-commerce system, they struggle to have uh, ERP system. Now we are talking about communication of two different systems, communicating the inventory and, you know, doing the joint planning. Obviously, that's going to be much harder. It's going to require a lot of investment. So obviously, you know, dropshipping businesses is extremely tricky to work with. And if you are going to do all of that, that is going to suck up a lot of investment as well. Uh, thank you so much for that. I have, can I tell you another quick story? Please. Just a, a new a new client, a major company in the music industry, sells through Reverb, also sells through Hal Leonard, which is one of the largest distributors in the music industry, uh, sell on their own website. And they have like zero integration going on, but they want to actually have all of their stuff basically drop shipped through Hal Leonard and Hal Leonard's agreed to do this. But because they don't really understand all the technical nuances of the integration and the marketing team, which does, hasn't been able to really explain to the executive team or get the executive team to really understand the technology, which drives me crazy because this is a technology driven industry. Um, they basically have decided to uh, use spreadsheets and um, uh, do manual order entry until it becomes a problem. And the marketing department said had to say, OK knowing full well that this is going to be a problem in 15 to 30 days, but otherwise they couldn't move forward with the rest of their development and their marketing team strategies without sort of kowtowing to this ridiculous notion of, no, we're not going to integrate. So it, you, you've got to be thinking about that. And they ran into this, but it'll get fixed. Yeah. Love the story. And definitely uh, if you are doing, if you're serious about dropshipping, uh, the integration is probably going to be required. The joint planning is going to be required. If you cannot do that, then you are definitely going to struggle uh, both of the parties, uh, not just one. Thank you so much for that, Steve. Chris, I am actually going to come to you. I don't know if you agree, uh, agree or disagree with Rick or uh, Steve. Based on the supplier insights that they have mentioned so far, uh, let's say if any of the uh, retailers or the manufacturers, they are doing the supplier research to be able to support their uh, dropshipping initiative, uh, what are different things that they should be looking at? Yeah, you know, I absolutely agree with what Steve and Rick ha have said, particularly about inventory and fulfillment. 
on-time delivery metrics, how what's their reporting so that I can really see that they're doing a good job with that. But I would extend it to, if I have an e-commerce site and I'm selecting products for that site that are going to be drop shipped, I want to have good product data from yeah. the companies that I'm reaching out to. So I need good images. I need product descriptions. I need specifications. I need all the things that are going to help me sell that well on my e-commerce site. So I really get into the product data and how can these, how are these suppliers efficiently set up to send that type of product data to me so that I can utilize it to win uh, customers' confidence, help them with the buying journey and make sure that I'm able to be the site that they want to convert on. So all that stuff for fulfillment, absolutely necessary. The other thing is, is there price in a range? So are my costs from them uh, giving me the ability to have a profit margin? You know, I'm going to expect that my profit margins are probably small if I'm drop shipping. Uh, so, but I, I still want to make a profit. So I need to, to see consistency with their pricing and that their costs to me are at a level where I'm going to make some money. And then uh, I would just say that if I'm thinking about my e-commerce site too, I want to select suppliers who are, who are going to help me differentiate. Yep. So if I'm a, you know, if I'm in a space and I'll, I'll go back to the RV space, RV camping, that's maybe a lifestyle brand. I've created this space. I blog about it. I send videos. I create this stuff. And now people are going to buy from my site. I want to make sure that the products I'm getting are helping to continue to differentiate me from somebody else. So those are some additional things I would think about as well. Yeah, amazing insights there. And by the way, when you are going to be communicating, uh, you know, with that product data, you know, that's probably going to require a lot more integration unless you are doing manual communication. So a lot of money is going to be required there. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Damon, I'm actually going to come to you, uh, you know, whether you agree, disagree related to the supplier insight. Uh, what would you think of, you know, when these companies are looking for these suppliers? What do they need to think? Uh, Chris has said one of the biggest things about the data. I mean, really, the imagery, the text, the, you know, even the keywords that you want to, you know, if you're going to be using this or whatever you need, that's that's a big deal. And, and to get it clean, fast and all that. But I'm going to go back to integration. I, I just can't stress that enough. Um, maybe it's because we just got off of a huge integration project. But when you see the integration working well, and understand that inventory is updating in real time or near real time, every five minutes, 10 minutes. When you see things like all of my freight information going directly back out to the to the, the my website, my customers' web platform sites, doesn't matter. Yep. That kind of stuff is gold yep. because as we turn that speed up, rather than someone uploading, like Steve said, an FT, a spreadsheet into an FTP where they're going to do it three, four times a day. And while oh, something happened, I didn't do it this afternoon. I'm doing it tomorrow morning. Well, that just means I delivered a day later in the eyes of the customer. When you look back at the customers, the speed, the speed and speed is so critical. And that integration does it. And Chris said one thing about, or someone said, excuse me, some about the KPIs and really being able to see, did this ship? So your customer service people, if if you're got a supplier, can that can can my customer service person see if that order shipped and easily? I mean, just like boom, boom, get that out because we got to get that customer experience and that customer, especially when they're contacting us, that customer experience level high. So, 
Okay, amazing insights there. So the only thing we can take right now is going to be super short closing advice, maybe a word or a couple of words. Uh, Rick, what would be your closing advice when it comes to dropshipping, Rick? I, I would say carefully plan your costs because your costs will be different depending on the customer experience that you're trying to enable. And you can quickly find yourself in an unprofitable situation if you, if you try to apply your previous cost structure to your new dropship board. Love it. Thank you so much, Rick. Uh, Steve, super quick closing advice. I'm going to uh, quote a friend of mine named Alex Lover from Outdoor Research, and I'm going to say, don't pound the table, pound your relationships. Love it. Uh, Chris, super quick closing advice, please. There's opportunity here for both uh, manufacturers and dealers. So get over the channel conflict stuff and have a conversation. Awesome. Uh, Damon, super short closing advice. I'll just go back to what, what Rick, Chris, and Steve said. I mean, it's build the relationships because there's money there, but know your cost and you can make money. All right, guys. Awesome. So that's it for today. On that note, I really want to thank everybody for their time and insight. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Christina Harrington, head over to jamalpha.com. It's G-E-N-A-L-P-H-A.com. If you want to learn more about Steve Rice, head over to dotcomjungle.com. It's D-O-T-C-O-M-J-U-N-G-L-E.com. If you want to learn more about Demon Pistolka, head over to exityourway.us. It's E-X-I-T-Y-O-U-R. W-A-Y.us. If you want to learn more about Rick Watson, head over to rmwcommerce.com. It's rmwcommerce.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Rick Watson who shares how to plan for warehouse and logistics architecture for DTC brands selling through marketplaces. Also, the interview with Francois Jeffrey from Noviland, who discusses what manufacturers need to know about working with international suppliers. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.